We have been through six parts of warning signs so far. And the gauge cluster that we've went through, God has shown us several things. We've got uh, empty fuel tank. Uh, the voltage is uh, there and running where it should be to keep us charged up. The oil keeps our bearings lubed up, and then our temperature is probably a little bit on the high side, and that's uh, signifying your uh, attitude. Look at your neighbor and say, how good's your attitude? Got an attitude problem? Is there any attitude problems in here? Ho hopefully not. None of them on the front row, for sure. There's no attitude problems up here. It's all just good. Uh, it's it's good. So then we've looked at the the uh, speedometer, and then last week we looked at the RPM gauge to talk about how that we need direction, and that direction would give us the ability. We can sit in one place and rev our motor all we want. Doesn't mean we're going anywhere. We have to engage uh, where we want to be going. And this week's the final portion of the warning sign series is the little green light up in the see, left hand corner of the screen up here. Uh, the little uh, green words that spell out the word cruise. Cruise control. And God is going to speak to us today about uh, letting our life be on cruise control. We're going to read out of Philippians chapter 3 verses 12 through 15. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 12. And we're going to read those few verses and then uh, allow God to speak to us. Let's all stand as we read. Philippians cha chapter 3, verse 12. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved the things or that I've already reached perfection. Look at your neighbor and say, you ain't perfect. Come on now. There's, some more bravery. There's bravery in the room, right? Look at him and say, I don't think you're perfect. You, you may think you are, but uh, you're not perfect. So Paul is saying here, I have not reached that perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize which God through Christ Jesus is calling me. Let all who spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we're joyful in this place. God, that you have bestowed salvation upon us. Lord, that you've granted us peace. And Lord, that you've given us goals in our life. Father, I pray if there's anybody here that's, that's uh, needing direction from you, Lord, that they're needing... A, a, a focus or a hope or a future, God, that you would just speak to their hearts today. Allow your Holy Spirit to soften us, God, so that we could be pliable enough that you could use us. God, help us to see in your word, Lord, that we need to be pressing forward, that we need to be going in the direction you've called us to go. And Lord, that you will help us along that journey. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. The Apostle Paul writing these words, penning these words that we just read out of Philippians, the book of Philippians. Uh, Paul had, was writing back to the church at Philippi, a place that he had pastored along his missionary journeys. As Leslie said earlier, this is Mission Sunday, that we're that as the Assemblies of God as a whole, about all the churches that I know of, some of them are off by a week or two, some of them do like second week or some of them last week, but a majority of the Assembly of God churches that I've ever been to uh, the first Sunday of the month, they celebrate Mission Sunday. 
And when the Assemblies of God was founded in 1916, October of 1916, so we're just 100 years old, and when they was founded, they founded, it was about 300 churches met together and assembled together in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and they looked for a way that they could combine together to send missionaries around the world to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to unreached people groups. And those 300 churches, when they first met together in those days, uh, times were different. Automobiles were scarce. Uh, they, it took a lot of uh, effort for them to get there. A lot of, I'm sure a lot of them rode trains and different things to get down to Hot Springs. And they were from all across the country. And I've read about multitudes of those churches, but they were missions-minded churches. And as Bethesda, we are missions-minded. That's, that's one of our core values, that we believe in sending missionaries. And Paul wouldn't have been able to write back to this church at Philippi unless he had stopped by there on his missions journey to plant a church there. And sometimes we see these words on these pages and we don't know the, the backdrop to what was going on. And the Apostle Paul was writing words back to encourage the Philippian church. And this is one of the most encouraging letters he writes back to the Philippian church. Most other churches, when he would write them, he would have to say, well, this is happening or that's going on and, and you need to look at this or focus on that or do some things about this. But this one, Paul's not really getting on the church. He's encouraging the church. He's strengthening the church and the church at Philippi. And to think that there would have been no church there unless he stopped by should awaken our hearts that we would know that God calls us to see churches planted around the world today. Just a few short weeks ago, we uh, was at a, a sectional council thing and uh, where the Assemblies got here in the region that we're in that we met together and, and uh, elected our leaders for the next upcoming year and uh, didn't know it but it just so happened that there was a young guy in the crowd and he has is currently uh, just started a few weeks ago the process of planting a church in Ashland, Kentucky and it was pretty cool because he stood up and they let him stand up and tell his story and I have never, never didn't know him and and uh, some of the, our leaders knew him, and they allowed him to talk, and he stood up and began to talk about planting the church and how that he was searching through Ashland and, and, and going to plant a church, and he had this core team that he was going to plant this church with, and they was praying about a place to meet, and, and finally he just got bold enough to go and ask to go out and, and be bold enough to even ask. The Bible says you have not because you asked not. So he said he just got bold enough, and he just walked in the Paramount Arts Center, and walked into the front window and asked to talk to the manager and, and, and just spoke for a minute and told the manager, yeah, we're planting a church in Ashland and we're looking for a place to meet. And, and the Paramount Arts Center director said, okay, well, come with me and I'll show you kind of what we've got and you can see if it'll work for you. And they took him through and showed him the main auditorium. It'll seat 1,200 people. Amen. 1,200 people that gets paid for all week long by all these other activities going on. And here God's going to use it for kingdom building purposes. And they tell him, okay, you can use the church and here's the amount. And they agreed on all that. And next thing you know, a couple weeks later, they were sitting in Paramount's Art Center having a church service. How awesome is that? By somebody having a dream, having a vision, having uh, 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 the umph to get up and say, I'm going to go into this area because there's people in Ashland needs a church. It's called City Reach Church. It's the name of it. And, and they're up there in Ashland, and they're, they're preaching the gospel today. They had a church service up there this morning. And it's so awesome to know that there, there wasn't a church there, and now there's a church downtown. Amen. 
downtown in the main part of and the best building in the in the city. Isn't that just like God to use things that we don't even think are possible? I would have never even had the dream to say that I could walk in the Paramount Art Center and even ask them to use for a church service. But God gives people visions. And as he did this with Paul, he, he, he had trusted Paul to do this. And if you look at this uh, core value of cruise control and how Paul could have lived his life on, core, on cruise control. He could have had a cruise control mentality in his life that he was just always going to get by and just keep going with the same way that it's always been. Cruise control locks you in to a certain speed. And the scary part is that it locks you into that certain speed without you having to do anything other than take care of the wheel. And as, as, as you're driving down the road, and it's kind of scary when you think about it, that you're going to sit and let the car manipulate the speed, and the only thing you have to do is drive. One time when I was young, back in my uh, smart teenage years, my good friend, he, he bought a car, and uh, he got this car, and he got it painted. Mike Clark helped him, and he painted it up, and it was real nice and fancy blue, and had this nice new paint job on it, and he was so proud of it. And he, he come, and, and I'd work the garbage route for Rick Kamer and got off early in the morning. It's like a 16-hour shift, and I was tired all day and didn't go to sleep. And then the next day, I, you know, I'd come plumb up in the evening, and, and they decided, well, let's go, down to, let's go down to Cincinnati. That's not a smart idea. So we get into my buddy's car, and we take off for Cincinnati. I fall asleep in the back seat, snoring, tired, and we end up, Next thing I know, I'm asleep, and they're, they're waking me up. Hey, get up, Ben, get up. And I was like, uh, all groggy, you know, just slime running down my face. And I was like, what's going on? We're lost. Okay, where are we at? We think we're in Cincinnati. Pretty good for a bunch of rednecks from Lewis County to end up down in Cincinnati. So here we are driving around downtown in the worst part. I mean, it was in the veal. I mean, it was bad. And driving around, the next thing you know, he's like, how do we get out of here? i tell you how you get out of a town, is look at the signs. So we got to begin to look at the signs, and we ended up on whatever, 275 or 270, whatever that is, the big circle road that goes all the way around it. And next thing you know, we're driving down that, and it's had a sign, Dubway Highway. Hey, that's the way we want to go. Let's go that way. So we, we get on the Dubway and start heading back down through there, and, and Scott looks over, and he's like, Okay, uh, we've been up all night driving, and you was back there snoring and was lost, and, and I'm kind of tired now, so won't you drive? I was like, I'm not driving. <laughs> I'm tired still. I'm not driving. And then, then they kept hounding me. Okay, you you got to drive. We're tired. you got to drive. So eventually they put me in the driver's seat, and I'm heading up the double-way highway, and I set the cruise control. Going along. It's daylight again. And next thing you know, it's kind of like on the movie Cars. You ever, you ever watch the movie Cars, how that he's going down through there and they start playing the music and all that and he, he gets sleepier and sleepier all the way and it's kind of felt that way for me. I just felt I was getting groggy and I'd slap myself and, you know, roll the window down and I'd, I'd done it all. But next thing you know, I was sleeping with the car on cruise control and we drifted over. They even had rumble strips, but apparently they didn't work. I ended up in the guardrail and tore the whole side out of my buddy's car. New paint job. Run it. I mean, absolutely just scraped all the way down the side of I thank God for that guardrail. Amen? And it's that way in our spiritual life. If we're traveling through life and we know we're tired, we know we're sleepy, and it just seems like we don't have any rest, rather than taking rest, we'll just keep going on that cruise control mode. There's seasons in your life, and we're going to have a, a sermon season or a sermon series beginning next week. It's called Holy Days. 
And it, it's about resting and finding that rest in God. But we need to have those moments of rest. But it doesn't mean that we should just go on cruise control mode to keep going at the same pace. Because God has awakened our hearts or should be awakening our hearts to say that there's more to life than this. There's a couple amens. I said there's more to life than this. There's more to life than what we've currently been living. God can show us so much more. And his, 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 his love is, is unfathomable. We can't even understand the depths and the heights of God's love for us. But he's calling us to make a difference in the world that we live in. And what are we doing with that? So Paul was not in this cruise control mode. This was a guy that was on fire for God that stayed on fire for God. And just with the diligence that he went out persecuting the church, he persecuted the church. I mean, he was a guy that in the Jewish a sect of the Pharisees he had the ability to go put people in jail for having a church service in America today we think we're persecuted because somebody says we can't pray in school amen we, we think that's persecution well they won't let us pray in school the whole earth's falling apart because they won't let us pray in school there ain't nobody stopping you from praying in school you can pray wherever you're at I can pray with my eyes open driving up the road. Amen? Don't do it with your eyes shut. That's one time you should, probably should not close your eyes if you're praying while you're driving. But you can pray wherever you're at. They can't stop you from praying. In the Azusa Street Revival back in the early 1900s, there was a black man that had one eye, and he was preaching the gospel in and, and some of the white churches. It was segregation days, and they wouldn't let him into church. And, and they would actually persecute the black people that would even pray to God. And he went under and got a big iron pot and dug out a hole in the ground. I've read this in books. And he would pray underneath that big kettle so people couldn't hear him. If you want to know what persecution is, we haven't seen it yet. Paul put people in jail for having church service. It's happening around the world today. In Iran a few years ago, you know about Saeed, Pastor Saeed, they, they come into the church, arrested him, and drug him out and left him in prison for years. That's persecution. Look at your neighbor and say, I don't think you got it all that bad. It ain't all that bad. It's all about perception. It's all about looking and seeing what is going on. So Paul is saying here, I'm not in cruise control mode. And he's telling the Philippian church, I'm not in cruise control. I press towards the mark. What does that mean? I'm pressing. I'm moving forward. I'm pushing against all odds. The wind can be at my face and the enemy can try to stop me. But I'm pressing on. So Paul is saying this. As he's penning these words, he's sitting in a prison cell. He's in prison in Rome. And he's pinning these words back to a church that he planted years ago. And saying, I haven't met perfection yet. But I'm pressing towards the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ. And if you look back through Paul's life and you can read through the stories in the book of Acts how he would go into a town and, and, it, and people wept over him when he would leave because the apostle Paul would bring life to community. And as he was in these communities and eventually he told them in Ephesus, I've got to go to Rome. He goes to Jerusalem, they put him on trial and then Herod and all this and you know he ends up up and going before Festus and all these other people and he's up here and they, 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 he says, I...
I'm calling on Caesar to try my case. I appeal to Caesar. I thank God for appeals. Do you have any appeals in your life? Words you can appeal to heaven and ask God to change some direction in your life? Paul said, I appeal to Caesar. I want my tr case tried by him. And the reason Paul did that was so because he knew something on the inside of him was calling him to preach the gospel in Rome. Are you willing to submit your life to the penitentiary for the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's somebody that's pressing towards that mark. That's somebody willing to give it all. And Paul, as he went and all these things happened, he was, he was beaten with stones and, and they left him for dead and they beat him with rods. And he's got all these stories all through the book of Acts. You'll see where the apostle Paul was persecuted in real life. Not make-believe and not crime because somebody uh, said something bad about him. He didn't consider that persecution. Persecution was when he got beat and left for dead. And all these towns was doing this. And, and eventually, you know, he gets down there and when he appeals to Caesar, they put him on a boat. And as he's traveling across the sea because they was taking him straight to Rome, as he's traveling across, Greg, you know this story that the Apostle Paul is going across the Mediterranean Sea and the ship wrecks. It breaks up in a million pieces, the Bible says, and, and they got all these pieces, and they're away from the shore. It got against the rocks, and it broke up, and everybody thought, surely there's somebody on here that's going to, this is a bad situation. But next thing you know, they all drift on the wood and end up on the shore. And as Paul ends up on this, this, this shore of Cyprus, he's, he's up there, and he's on this bank, and he gets up there, and the, the natives come out, and they speak to him. Here's these, all these people, and, and he, his, even his guard was surprised that they didn't try to get away. Everybody say, that's a good prisoner when you don't try to get away when you can. Amen. If they got me locked up and I get on a shipwreck, the train wrecks, and I end up landing out there, I'm going to hit the road, Jack. Paul's standing there looking at him like, man, it's cold out here. Let's build a fire, guys. Let's get warmed up. That's somebody pressing towards the mark, isn't it? And he gets out there, and, and it says that he went around and collected sticks, and he got them over there, and he, he was going to build this fire to get warm, and he got this fire rolling, and he goes to putting the sticks in, and one of the sticks warms up, and it turns out it was a snake. Absolutely, it's in your Bible. You ought to read it. It's an interesting book. It's got some cool stories in it. People snake bit, really? Yeah, woo! Okay, Paul gets bit. And all the natives were there, and they said, surely this is somebody that's done some evil things in their life because now they've made this shipwreck, they've lived through this, and it was a miracle that they lived through it, but now a snake bit them, so surely some, the gods of heaven is looking out on them and going to get them anyway. And Paul's standing there, and the Bible says he's standing there with this snake latched on his arm, and he shakes it off in the fire. That's, that's impressing. <laughs> Amen. If there was some venomous snakes, some dangerous snakes and one of them had a hold of my arm I wouldn't be standing there and be like oh God's going to take care of me a lot of people's got that kind of faith but in the faith department I'm lacking sometimes I don't press enough because I'm in cruise control mode and Paul shakes off this snake in the fire and they all look at him and they're like he just got a few minutes to live man he's, he's not going to make it this is bad so Paul's standing there, keeps feeding food, wood in the fire. Next thing you know, they was just dumbfounded because he never did die. You know why he didn't die? Because God is for us. Who can be against us? Amen. 
Even snakes can't put you in the grave if God's got a destiny for your life. Amen. The venom of, of a poisonous snake can't put you in the grave if God is for you. That's amazing to me. That's anti-cruise control mode. That's where you got your hands on the wheel and saying, God is going to take me to Rome, and I'm going to get there come hell or high water. Enemy, do whatever you want. Put a, whatever kind of scenario you want. But if God's got destiny on my life, if he's got somewhere for me to be, the enemy cannot stop me because if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen? So he's traveling through, and all these things happen and continue to happen. But he ends up in Rome, and he preaches in Rome. This was like the... the in today's world, it would be like preaching in the Washington, D.C. The most powerful city in the world is Washington, D.C. And it would be like making it finally to that destination and get to preaching. And the next thing you know, the leaders in that community put you in the pen. Amen. How many would be disheartened by that? God, you've brought me all this way and let me preach here in Rome, but now I'm sitting in a pen? You put me in the penitentiary, God? Really? That would be the moment where I'd lose my cruise control. I would get to wallowing in my mess. Amen? I'd get to have pity, self-pity, and thinking, oh, God, why is this happening to me? Poor, pitiful me. I'm so persecuted. Anybody else with me? That's the way we are. But Paul didn't do that. He sat down and said, well, now that I've got some time in this pen... I can't preach as much as I want to. Maybe I'll just write my sermons. I'll write my sermons down. And I'll send them back to those churches that I planted so many years ago. That's the words we just read a few minutes ago. Isn't that amazing? That's somebody with some perseverance, with some direction, with some destiny. That was somebody that's saying, I press towards the mark. I'm going to go somewhere. Where are you going? And how are you going to get there? As I looked at this and studied this and understood that Paul was really looking and pressing, I thought, well, God, there's got to be some kind of example in the Bible somewhere because the Bible says and let uh, every word be established by two or three, okay? Every word be established by two or three. So if they're going to do judgment in the Old Testament, they would have to get two or three witnesses to come against somebody to prove them wrong. One word wouldn't do it. It had to be two. So I began to think, well, God, somebody was on cruise control in the Bible, surely. And I look back and begin to think about and ponder about all the scripture that I've read. And, and I come across and I remembered this guy that he was uh, the king of Israel. He was the second king of Israel. And he got in cruise control mode. And when he got in cruise control mode, he got in trouble. The Bible says that David was a valiant man. You've all heard the story about David and Goliath, right? The little boy going up and killing the giant. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? You ever killed any giants in your life? Has any of your enemies ever felt your feet by the power of God? The Bible says that we don't war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. When's the last time you tore down a stronghold? over your life David did these things and the, the first uh, king Saul he, he made a mess of everything to do with how God was setting up the kingdom of Israel but it winds up Saul gets in a battle and, and, and takes his own life king Saul takes his own life falls on his own sword so the enemy won't get a hold of him and when he does king David becomes king 
He's not very old. And they bring him and they set him in Israel, in Jerusalem. And they set him down on that throne and they put that crown on his head. He's king of Israel. And he goes on to fight and, and he continues to fight. And, and next thing you know, all these surrounding regions of Israel, all these other lands, Jordan and Syria and Turkey and all these places that's around it, still today, these same people are there. Back then they went by Philistines. They went by these different terms, but it's the same groups of people. And as they were surrounding him, they would come and fight against David. And David just had a little small, itsy-bitsy, tiny army. And he would kill thousands of people in those opposing armies. And everybody was dumbfounded by what King David was able to accomplish. And whenever he would go out to war, people would just get in line and they would go fight. And God would bring victory to Israel. God be for us. Who can be against us? But he gets out there and he gets to fighting. And we read the story through 1 Samuel and we'll see where just over and over and over again there's war after war after war that God brings victory to Israel. Sometimes we get complacent even though we've won major battles. And David gets to the point and it comes to chapter 11 in 1 Samuel and David gets out there and he decides the year, and it says in, verse, in chapter 11 of 1 Samuel it says that King David in the spring of the year they, that the kings would go out to fight these wars in the spring of the year. But it said King David stayed at home and he sent Joab to go do the battle. Look at your neighbor and say, nobody else can fight your battles. Amen? Amen? If God give you a destiny, if he give you a journey and a place to be, nobody else can go. It's only for you. God will fight your battles for you if you go. And show him you're willing to be there. King David didn't go. He sent Joab. And Joab went out. And King David, he would send these letters. He had these escorts that would go between the battlefield and the, and, and the, the palace. And they would go out and find out what's going on on the battlefield and come back and tell King David. He was, he was worried about what was going on in the battle, but he wasn't willing to go to be in the battle. If you're not fighting, you ain't got no business of knowing what's going on. Amen? We need to keep our nose in our own business. Well, there's one amen. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to keep your nose in your own business. Amen? It's not for everybody to know. Sometimes it's good for, to let other people know. And you shouldn't, you shouldn't uh, deal with all of life's things in solitude. You need other people. Amen? You need counsel. The Bible says that there's, there's a multitude of wisdom and, and a multitude of counselors, that, that we need wisdom. Amen? We need some people with some gray hair that's been through some trials in life. And we need to call them and say, hey, this is going on. They say, well, back in 1960, I had that happen to me, and here's what I've done, and it worked. Amen? That's called wisdom. I need some of that. So as these things happened, David was worried about what was going on. And, and because he was, had his nose stuck out there in the battlefield, even though he wasn't willing to fight himself, Next thing you know, he's, he's walking around on the top of his roof one day, it says in chapter 11, and he's walking by and he gets over close to the edge. And How many knows that somebody nosy is always going to be nosy? Uh -huh. Amen? Nosy Rosie? Yeah. Yep, that neighbor that's always peeking through the curtains wondering, well, what are they doing over there? Well, why are they doing that? I can't believe they're acting like that. The only thing you got in that, your nose. So, amen, David walking around the roof, and he gets the nose, and he's like, okay, well, uh, over in Jerusalem, that's happening, yeah. 
And he walks by and he looks down on this one particular house. And one of his servants that he sent off to war, one of his valiant men, fighting in the battle that day, David looks over the edge of his roof and it says he sees Uriah's wife bathing out in the open. Shouldn't look at nobody else's wife. Ernie, you the only one going to say amen? I said you shouldn't look at nobody else's wife. Hear me, young guys. But David looked over and he continued to look. And I don't think it was by accident that he was up on the roof at that hour of the day. Because in, in Israel, in the old-fashioned culture that they lived in, there was times of the day for everything. They prayed five times a day religiously on the hour, on the minute when it was time to pray. If you don't believe me, read all the way through the Bible. You'll see over and over at the hour of prayer, they met together. There was hours for everything, and I'm sure there was a bathing hour. He had no business being on that roof during bathing hour looking over at somebody else's wife. And as this happened, King David, he's in cruise control mode. He's supposed to be the king out leading the battle, fighting. But here he is on a roof looking at somebody else's wife. He asked her to come over. They have adultery. Next thing you know, it's a whole big mess. He tries to get Uriah to come home. Then he sends Uriah back out, and he tells Joab, put him on the front line. Uriah gets killed. King David murders somebody over his fault. How many people do we hurt? It don't have to be this extreme. How many people do we hurt by our actions? Because we're in cruise control mode. When God has called us to a higher destiny than what we've been living, and we're just maintaining and getting by and thinking, I'll be okay. I just want to continue keeping on, keeping on. David messed up. She becomes pregnant. He lays on the ground. He's sobbing. He's crying. The Bible says that he fasted. He would not eat. He covered himself with, with ashes. That's what they did back then. I'm glad, that, I'm glad they've done away with that in the New Testament. Ain't you, Greg? Every time they get sorry in the Old Testament, they go out and build a fire and throw ashes over their head. It wouldn't hurt my hair none, but it still, it just, I wouldn't look right, looking all gray and pitiful looking like that. But that's the way they did it. And King David laying here on the ground, covering himself with ashes and sackcloth, and sitting down, won't eat, crying, praying for his little newborn baby that was born. The Bible says the baby passed away. At the very moment that it passed away, when the news came back to David, he got up, washed his face, and ate. Some of the servants of David said, why would you do that, King David? You, you was just fasting and praying and crying out to God five minutes ago, and now you're going to sit over here and eat and sit in your chair and wash your face? What's the difference? And David said, King David, he was somebody that had been through a lot. He said, I did it to see if God would be gracious to me and let the baby live. Because it wasn't its fault of what I did. Next thing you know, they have another baby. David had already married multiple wives. He had a, a pretty much a harem going on. And as this happens, the next baby that's born, they name him Solomon. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but King Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived on the face of the earth 
other than Jesus Christ, of course. King Solomon built the temple of God in Jerusalem. The same stones that's laying over there today on, on the, the temple mount are the same exact stones that King Solomon laid there thousands of years ago. He was born. But as I thought about King David and how he got stuck in this cruise control mode, he did get out of it. He did break out of it and come forward. And the best thing you can do is when you've messed up, is pray and ask God. Amen? Forgive me of my faults. And there's nobody in this room that's not guilty of some type of sin, of some type of shortcoming, of some type of cruise control in your life, or that you're just maintaining life and thinking, I'm just going to get by and continue to get by. But today's the day where I believe God is calling us. Why don't you press a little bit? Won't you come closer to God? Won't you quit putting him off and saying, I'll come some other day. Wait till next week, Jesus. I remember as a teenager, growing up in church, coming week after week, and the preacher would preach a message, and I would hear him preach, and he'd give an altar call, and I'd stand there with my knuckles gripped on, that, on the pews and just saying, next week I'll go. Greg, that was my prayer every week. Next week I'll go. Next week I'll go. Kermit Richmond preaching these messages, preaching his heart out, and I would never walk to the front of the church. Little did I know, I didn't have to walk to the front of the church. Because I'd give anything to do that over again because my grandpa. One of the most godly men I know. When he would get up and testify in church, it would bring tears to everybody in the room's eyes. I'd give anything, Ruby, to walk that aisle so my grandpa would have done it with me. So he could have seen my grandchild. Life's too important to just skate by. God's got destiny for every person in this room. I thank God that my grandpa and grandma all continued to live long enough that I could go out and have Bible studies sitting at their table later in years. My grandma sitting there and she would open her Bible and she would talk about stuff. And these words that she says to me over and over and over again haunts me daily. Dennis. She said, Ben, whatever you do, stay open-minded. One of the best things I know as a Christian is stay open-minded. Because the minute we close the book and say, this is the only way, my way, it's my way or the highway, we're in trouble. God is so much bigger than any one of us. But we need each other. And this is the number one answer I have for you today. Your connectiveness determines your effectiveness. Sister Blogger, if you could write that down. Your connectedness determines your effectiveness. Who are you connected to that can pray for you? My mama is a saint in my eyes. Other people's eyes, she's probably not. You probably go up Kroger's and ask some of them young girls, how's Bonnie to work with? She's a grouchy old lady or something. You know, that's probably what they'd say. But in my eyes, my perception is my mama's an angel. Amen. And my mom believes in prayer. 
And she says this all the time. And I remember even when I was in a cistern that mom tells the story over and over and over again when I died. She tells the story about that my sister had just recently got saved and mom was sitting in the car with her traveling down the road and mom reached over and she believes in the, she reads the Bible to understand it. And she, when she reads a verse, she thinks, yeah, that's for me. That's what we all ought to do. But there's a verse, it's Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. It says, if any two or three agree is touching anything, it shall be done for them. Touching. My, blonde, my mom believes in touching. And whenever something's going wrong, if she's going down and she hears something that there's a wreck down the highway, she'll reach over and say, here, Ben, let's pray. Yeah, you're allowed to touch me. I don't have the plague or nothing. And she just grabbed my hand and she'll say, let's pray. Matthew 18, 19 says, if we agree and touch this, things is going to change. And she'll pray. All areas of my life, I've seen her do it a hundred times. I want us to pray. we got to touch. But she even takes it to this extreme and says it's not just touching. She'll call you on the phone. Then the Bible says in Matthew 18, 19, and so-and-so's going through this, and they, I heard this bad rumor that they've got this going on, and maybe it's a health issue, and she'll say, well, just agree with me right now. Let's pray and agree over the phone. I, I believe in Matthew 18, 19. Pray and agree with me. And I've saw my mama pray prayers that changed people's lives because she believes in what God told her. The Bible says if we got faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, that mountains will move. How much pressing are you doing? Are you like Paul? Are you on cruise control like David? Come out of it. You can. David went on to do great things. But my mom believes in that connection. And I believe as a church we have to be connected to be effective. There's people in this church that needs each other. Amen? Who are you connected to? And can you call them for prayer when you need it? That's why the church is a body. The Bible says that we're many members. That everybody has their own function. The only way it will ever work is if we do our part. How connected are you today? The stand. Paul got to see his dream come true of the thriving church in Rome, the capital of the world. But at the same time, King David never got to build the permanent house for the presence of the Lord that he desired. What is your goal in life? Are you working on that vision that God gave you? Be careful if you're just coasting through life. Because the enemy of your soul will ensnare you. Quit drifting. One of the old songs I used to sing, you're drifting too far from the shore at the church. All the old timers sang those songs, there's about the lighthouse. Thank God for the lighthouse. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes, if you will.
You know there's times where that we come to church service and, and our mind is on something else going on about maybe a problem or an issue that somebody that you know is going through some stuff and you'll think, man, I wish they was here to hear this sermon. But I just believe that God orchestrates everything and he has every person to be sitting in a seat that needs to hear the message for that day. And I believe you're here by destiny. I believe it's orchestrated by God for you to sit and hear this message today. And I believe that there's a certain parts of it that may be that one person hears it one way and another person hears it another way and, and one, part, one part of it touched somebody's heart and another part touched somebody else's heart. But one thing I know for sure is the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. And today I know that He has spoken to every person in this room. So I just want you, everybody here just bow your head, close your eyes, and I want you just very simply pray. That the Holy Spirit would awaken your heart in whatever area of your life is on cruise control. Maybe it's your entire life. Maybe you're just living life to the fullest and thinking, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep on going in the direction I'm going and I don't need nothing else. But today this message spoke to you and you said, I need some change. Just pray, Holy Spirit, make yourself real to me today. Awaken my heart to know the areas that you want to work on. And I want us to listen real closely. Silently right now, I just want us to listen. speaking to us today. Everybody here, your head bowed and your eyes continue to be closed. I just want to ask anybody in this room right now that will say, Pastor Ben, I want prayer because I, I sense that God is calling me and telling me to come out of cruise control and start pressing a little. I'm tired of coasting and I want to press in. I want to press in with God. Is there anybody here that lift your hand and say, that's me? That's me. Amen. Anybody else? Say, I want to press. I'm tired of coasting. Amen. Thank you, God. A lot of hands just went up in this room. thank you for every person that raised their hand and Lord even some in here they don't have to raise their hand Lord you know their heart better than any of us and God I pray for any person in this room that's making a decision right now and Lord as they're deciding to follow you that they're going to chase after you God that they're going to press the way Paul pressed Lord that they're going to go towards that high calling towards Christ Jesus God I pray that you empower them that you embolden them, 
God, that they would make uh, every effort in every area of their life, God. Even if we end up sitting in a prison cell someday, God, because of our faith, let us never grow cold, God, in our heart. God, I pray that you just light a fire under every person in this room. That, Lord, it would consume who we are. And, Lord, that you would mold us into who you want us to be. Make us like clay, God, as it says in your word that we are clay and you're the potter, God. I pray that you would mold people in this room. Everyone that raised their hand today, God, I pray that you would just reach down and touch their life right now. And, Lord, they wouldn't walk out of this place the same, but, Lord, they would walk out changed, that there would be a newness, a freshness of life, God. That your spirit would awaken on the inside of us, God. That we would accomplish the things that you set us out to do. Don't let nobody be alone in this room. God, I pray that you make connections across Bethesda, God. That we will be effective because we're connected. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Numbers chapter 6 says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. If you need prayer, we'll have some people up front to pray for you if you need special prayer about anything going on. Love God, love people.